0: It's good to be back with you this evening. Thank you for your friendliness as a congregation and your hospitality today. Our text this evening, Psalm 23, we're going to focus on verse 3 of Psalm 23. And you may notice, you may not notice, that there is a word in verse 3 that was a key word in Ruth chapter 1 that we looked at this morning. Now, in root chapter 1, the word was to turn. Uh, and uh, it focused on the repentance, if you remember, if you were here this, this morning. This particular word, same Hebrew word, in verse 3 is a little bit broader in meaning. It will include that. But uh, as we're going to see, the word restores here. Uh, same Hebrew word, but it is a little bit uh, broader in meaning. So, I want to read the whole psalm even though we will be focusing on verse 3. Psalm 23. It is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Forever. Let's pray. Father, this is your word for your people today. And so may you speak through your word. Give us understanding that your name would be glorified and we would understand how we might live in a way that's pleasing to you. Through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Many years ago, maybe by now many, many years ago, I had my two lower wisdom teeth pulled at the same time. Things did not go too bad, could have been a lot worse, but it took a long time to get back to what you might call normal. At first, I stayed in bed a lot, ate liquid foods, my stomach did flip-flops. I experienced constant, low-grade pain. It took more than two months for full healing to occur. And I knew I was back to normal when I could rip into a steak or a hamburger without feeling any pain. And that was a good feeling. Yes, it was. To be fully restored, Some people take old cars and restore them to their original condition, try to use the original parts as much as possible, try to make the car just like it was when it came off the assembly line. Some people take old houses and fix them up. These are called restoration projects. Now, do you realize that God himself is in the business of restoration? Do you know that God has some restoration projects that he's working on? In fact, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if Christ is your shepherd, you are one of his restoration projects. God is in the process of restoring you back to the original condition he had planned for you, but not just to go back to the Garden of Eden. It's better than that restoring you so that you will be fit for the new heavens and the new earth. He's in the process of bringing you out of your sinful fallen condition so He can make you brand new. It is a full restoration process. It will affect every area of your life, as we will see hopefully this evening. Now, when we read the word soul in verse 3, we tend to think of one aspect of our lives. Soul, right? That refers to the spiritual aspect of our lives. Now, the Hebrew word, "nephesh" includes that aspect, but it's really a broader concept. It includes every area of our life. And so, we could translate this, could translate this he restores my whole life. And hopefully we will see that here in Psalm 23.3. Because God's restoration of His people is a full restoration that includes every part of our lives, we must today live as those who will one day be fully restored. In other words, our ultimate hope is not in the fullness of life here in this world, that is not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is in the fullness of life that God has planned for us in the new heavens and the new earth, when He will finish His restoration project, when He will finish His restoring, full restoration of you, of His people. And like most restoration projects, God's restoration of you has several different aspects to it. If you are restoring an old house, you don't begin by redoing the floor of the main entrance first. You don't start there, do you? And there's a good reason you don't start there because as you do your work on that house, as you restore the rest of that house, that floor is going to get beat up. There are a lot of other places that you would start your restoration Before you paint a wall, sometimes you must tear off the old wallpaper and prepare the surface for painting. Most of the time, you have to tear down before you can build up. If a house is old enough, you may have to gut it. Tear everything out of it so you can make it brand new. It's the same with God's restoration of our lives. In fact, the word restore here has both negative and positive aspects to it. When God restores us, there is an aspect of demolition, isn't there? There is an aspect of tearing down, getting rid of the old, so that God can make something new. There's a radical breaking away from our old way of life, so that we can then turn to a new way of life, turn to God. And He begins to restore our life. It's not always easy. It can be painful. But it is necessary. It's part of our conversion. And it takes place through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, a radical reorientation of our lives. The old patterns, the old ways of thinking and living are gone and we're made new creatures in Christ... A radical demolition, if you will, that affects every area of our life. Nothing remains the same as before. This is the negative side to our conversion, isn't it? But there's also a positive side. And this positive side has various aspects to it that I want to highlight here from Psalm 23, verse 3. And the one we normally think of is that God restores us spiritually. Yes, that's true. He restores my soul. That's where restoration starts, isn't it? This aspect deals with our basic problem. We are sinners before a holy God. We are not by nature friendly toward God. We have a basic hostility toward God in and of ourselves apart from Christ because of our wickedness, because of our love of sin. By nature, we're cold toward God, a heart of stone, a mind full of pride. Our wills want to please ourselves rather than God. Our whole being is at enmity with God. We're dead toward the things of God. And that's why God must act to change us. He must renew us. Sin's dominion must be broken. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, you were dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. You could not lift a finger to help yourself. You could not lift a finger even to call to God. Paul then says, but God. But God made you alive. That spiritual renewal, it's what we call regeneration. A spiritual renewal that brings radical internal changes and begins a process that will continue for the rest of your lives. When God gives us a new heart, we are new creatures. And yet the old sinful nature is not completely gone, is it? Those old desires are still very active. And so now we are in a spiritual battle sometimes with that old nature as we struggle with sin. And so struggle with sin is is not necessarily a bad thing. It's what you do with that struggle. Fight it. Don't let sin win the day. But sometimes sin does get the best of us, doesn't it? Sometimes areas of our lives need attention because maybe we've neglected them spiritually. It's like a kitchen in a house that has not been touched or changed for 30 years. It needs work. It needs work. There may be areas of our lives that we have not tended to for a long time, areas that we need help. Areas that we need to tend to. Sanctification is a work of God's grace. It's a process that continues as long as we live in this life. Maybe you need to ask God to show you areas of your life that need work. Areas that need restoration. Maybe your attitude has become self-centered. And you need to be more self-giving. Maybe anger's gotten the best of you and you harbor ill feelings towards someone. Maybe you've not been willing to forgive. It's easy to lose focus. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But God is in the business of restoration, He can restore your soul and continue that process. A radical positive step of renewing you from inside out. A transformation that is spiritual and it is eventually going to be total. Spiritually, that's where it begins. But God can also restore us morally. We see this in Psalm 23, verse 3, where it says, He leads me in paths... Of righteousness. In other words, God not only changes our inner lives, but He changes the way we live. He changes the way we behave. Paths of righteousness are not just any old paths that you might want to walk. These are paths that God has laid out for us as His people to walk. If God is our shepherd, we should not be defiantly walking the way we want to walk. We should not be living the way we think is best for us to live. We should not be stepping out on our own. We should be looking for those paths of righteousness that God has laid out for us to walk. Look for those paths of righteousness in the living of our daily lives, in the situations we face at work, in the decisions we make as a family, in the multitude of choices we face every day. There are paths of righteousness that God would have us walk. In most situations we face, there is the right thing to do. Not every situation. But in a lot of situations, the right thing is clear. The right path is clear. Do the right thing. It's not just a slogan. It's not just an option. It's the way God leads His people. In verse 2, we saw that the shepherd feeds us. That's what verse 2 talks about, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, how do you make sheep lie down? You feed them. Then they're at rest. Then they're content. Then they lay down. And a result of this feeding is that God then leads us in paths of righteousness. The more we immerse ourselves in His Word, the more we will understand what is the right thing to do. We want to begin to look at the world from God's perspective so that we analyze the choices we have from His Word. Not in a self-righteous way. I mean, all of us know anything that we have is only by grace. It's not in a self-righteous way, but... To do what God would want us to do, being dependent upon His leadership and doing it in a way that demonstrates grace. God is clear that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And if we say that He is our shepherd, then we should not try to define the way we want to go. But we should be willing to follow our shepherd in the way he would want us to go. It's like restoring a house on the inside. Imagine, you restore the house on the inside. The inside looks really nice, really beautiful. But you don't touch the outside at all. What's good is a brand new kitchen if the roof has holes in it and it's leaking like a sieve. What good are new floors if the house is infested with termites? How can there be spiritual transformation and inside transformation if there is no moral effect, if there's no change on the outside in terms of our behavior? God's restoration is both inward and outward, a spiritual renewal, which affects the way we live and affects the way we think. If renewal has taken place in your life, your life will be different. It will be different from those around you who have not experienced this renewal. So not just an inner spiritual restoration, that's where it starts, but an outward moral restoration where people can see that our behavior is different, our attitudes are different, we think differently, we live differently because God has begun to restore us. Then there's one more aspect that I want to talk about spiritually, morally, and then one other aspect. Life itself is renewed. And we go back really to the the meaning of my soul in verse 3 where Really, this term has a broad meaning. He restores my whole life. And I want to say this includes our physical lives. We must be sure to keep this in proper perspective. This is physical restoration. If you want to see an example of this, a a minor example of this, uh, you can look at 1 Kings 13.6. Where the hand of Jeroboam, the king, is withered by the prophetic word. And the king pleads with the prophet to restore his hand, to physically bring it back to normal. And Because the word soul can mean life itself, it includes the restoration of all of our lives, including our our physical lives. And this, this is important. Anyone who's not feeling well understands how this can impact everything you do. Physical health is extremely important for us. No one wants to be sick. We should pray. We should pray for those who are sick, those who are not healthy. And so I want to be sure you understand what I say this evening. Because I want to say here that physical health is not the most important thing in this life. But I don't want you to think that I'm downplaying the need for health, the blessing of health. I'm not downplaying that when people are sick, they suffer. But I do want to make the point that physical health is not the most important thing in life and that sounds really strange in our culture today doesn't it for example you may have perfect physical health but if you die in an accident you get run over by a car your health means very little to your relationship with God that's the point if you're not spiritually renewed by God We have to be honest with what Scripture says. You will spend eternity apart from Him. Spiritual renewal is much more important than physical health. And yet our society has in many ways made a God out of physical health. And they made a God out of physical health because many people look at suffering and they see it as something totally negative, without meaning, and without purpose, kind of the worst thing that can happen to you, and yes, becoming sick is horrible sometimes, terrible. But to say that suffering is without meaning and purpose is tremendously short-sighted. It makes human beings to be completely in charge of their own destinies. That's why some would want to take their lives early. It fails to see that good can come out of suffering. It offers no hope, for all there is in this life is what we have here and now. Psalm 23 reminds us that in all of life, even during suffering, there is meaning, there is hope, there is purpose. We see this in that little phrase at the end of verse 3, for His name's sake. That's why things happen in our lives. And that's why there's meaning to the suffering of our lives and the trials we experience in their lives. We may not always know the meaning behind suffering, but for everything that God does, He does it for His name's sake. He has a purpose. Even if we don't know what that purpose is, we can trust him. Our shepherd knows what he's doing. And yes, sometimes the trials we go through in life are very, very hard, very, very difficult. But God can use suffering in ways which we cannot fathom to accomplish his purposes. We may not ever fully know that until we get to the new heavens, new earth, and maybe not even then. God can use suffering to change us. He can use suffering to bring others to Himself. And so even the difficult parts of our life have meaning because we have a good shepherd who's working out His purposes for His glory and for our good. So even during suffering, we have hope. Even though now, in our lives right now, the principle of death is at work. And someday, unless Christ comes back, death will overtake us. But we will one day be fully and completely restored in every facet of our lives. Spiritually, morally, physically. A total transformation you see god's restoration program is not completed until the next life it will not be done until we reach glory in glo- think about this think about this in glory when 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 christ comes and completes this restoration project we will be completely renewed spiritually Will be made perfect, complete. No more need to confess our sins. My hope is built on nothing less, has this part, it says, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. In glory we will be morally righteous. That's something else that you want to reflect on a little bit. We'll think like God thinks. Every decision, every act, every thought, every motive will be righteous and pure, will be perfect. There is a fountain filled with blood it says this All the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. In glory, we will be physically whole. No more aches and pains, no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering. We will walk and not grow weary, we will run and not faint. A glorified body cannot decay. It doesn't. The hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, says this, Praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. Praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. You know, there's a tendency in some circles today to change the wording of things, a lot of, they want to change the names of a lot of things, but, but they also want to change the wording of some things, and, and even the wording of some old hymns, sometimes for politically correct reasons, sometimes because they don't want to offend other people. It doesn't always work well. William Cooper, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, wrote a hymn called A Closer Walk With God. And some came along and thought that it would be better to change the title of this and maybe to remove the word walk not to offend those, you know, who couldn't walk. And so they changed it to a, a closer bond with God. Now a young man who could not walk told his father that he wanted to sing the word Walk. He wanted to sing the word walk because it spoke directly to one of His his most cherished hopes that in the resurrection He will be made whole and He will be able to walk. He restores my whole life. Does your life reflect that newness of life that has already begun? And Do you have the hope that one day He will? Will God will finish this restoration project. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Hear Him, ye deaf, His praise, ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come. And leap, ye lame, for joy. We have a glorious future awaiting us. Praise God, He's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with me yet. Praise God, one day we will stand before Him better than brand new. All because of what God has done for us. Through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a wonderful future He has planned for His people. I pray you're a part of that. I pray you're looking forward to that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful promises that you've made. We've seen you fulfill those promises in many, many ways, even during the hard parts of life, even during, during the difficult parts of life. We thank you that even as we face death or would face death, not even death, can hinder us from that great day that you have in store for us when Jesus Christ comes again. He has conquered Satan, sin, hell itself, and death. And so we thank you. Help us to live our lives each day in light of that great, glorious future of restoration which you have in store for us Help us not to be, to be in despair. Many times that temptation comes, and many times maybe we will feel in despair. But help us to look to Christ who has fulfilled all of your promises. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the future you have for us, we pray. All of this, in Jesus' name, amen.